I want you to turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. Matthew, chapter 22. And I want to bring you a message tonight that probably will be more like a Bible study, but something I think nevertheless is needful. As I talk to many people, I discover that there are folks that say, Pastor, I read the Bible and I just don't seem to understand what it is that I'm reading. And I hear that sometimes very often, and uh, folks are uh, trying to get a sense of, of what the Word of God is communicating. And uh, I've thought about this a great deal, and tonight I want to bring you a, a message that will help to perhaps identify what the source of your struggle may be in comprehending the Word of God. And there in Matthew chapter 22, and verse number 29... We read these words, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we pray that You would open the eyes of our spiritual understanding. Help us, Lord, to receive the Word of God upon soil that has been tenderized and broken up so that it can receive the Word and take root in our hearts and bear a rich harvest. Lord, fill me with Thy Spirit, I pray, in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. Tonight I want to bring you a study entitled, Seven Reasons Why You May Not Understand the Scripture. Now there are some folks that hear that title and they're freaking out right now because they think, Man, he can't get through three points in an hour. I don't know how he thinks he's ever going to get through seven in the next 30 or 40 minutes. And uh, I told Brother Lyle before service began, I may have bitten off more than I could chew, but uh, I'm going to give it the old college try. And uh, the Lord knows that I've done that before and, and probably will do it again. But I hope this, this is a help and a blessing to you. Seven reasons why you may not understand the Scripture. Jesus told the rulers of the Jews, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees on more than one occasion that they were in error in not knowing the Scripture or the power of God. And the reality is just this, that if we do not know what the Bible teaches, we will never fully comprehend the power that is revealed through the truth of the Word of God. For the Bible tells us, in Hebrews chapter 4, that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so we understand that to know the Word of God is to be able to unleash its power in our lives, and yet many feel that they are at a disadvantage because they do not understand what the Bible is telling them. And tonight, perhaps, uh, we will, in our study, identify why perhaps you are having a difficult time understanding what the Bible says. And I'm not going to uh, take a long time to uh, talk to you about this subject, but I want to just begin by saying my message contains nothing per se about you may have a, a version of the Bible that is too difficult to understand. And a lot of people want to start there and say, well, I just don't understand 
uh, this King James Bible, it's so hard for me to get my mind around. And do you know, I want to tell you something. I think it's a cop-out. Readability studies have been done on various versions, and uh, it's written at an 8th grade reading level. The reality is this. When I grew up, I started uh, with the old blueback speller and phonics before phonics was cool. And uh, I was uh, learning to read from the King James Bible when I was four and five years of age. And so uh, I felt like I had a leg up on, on others that perhaps had a little bit of a diminished vocabulary and reading ability because uh, they were settling uh, for C-spot run. And the fact is that I was uh, reading about the hypostatic union and about uh, God's expiatory and propitiatory uh, sacrifice upon uh, you know Calvary and that He was the propitiation for our sins and having to learn my vocabulary words and then spell them out in spelling bees. And the fact of the matter is that our lack of understanding has very little to do, if any at all, with the version that we might be reading. And one of the things that I have discovered is this, that God, who inspired His Word, promised to preserve His Word forever. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but My Word will never pass away. Now I would tell you this, that from the very beginning of time all the way until the present, the devil has sought to undermine what Jesus said, what God has said. And what we see is he began that, that doubt, that infusion of doubt in the mind of Eve clear back in the Garden of Eden, and he has carried that forward. And so what he wants to do is proliferate doubt in the minds of people, and I believe because of the proliferation of many Bible translations since uh, 1901 and forward, confidence has not been inspired in hearts, but confusion has been infiltrated within hearts because in so many places today, people are not encouraged to have a relationship with God through His Word. In fact, most people in larger churches don't even take a Bible to the service because they're counting on the fact that whatever version the pastor may be trying to prove his point from will be put up on the screen so they can read it there because they, they don't have a version uh, that matches what's being said up there, number one. And number two, uh, they think, well, uh, he's going to have to tell me what it means anyhow uh, because they're not versed enough in the Scripture to follow along. They're, they're searching the index to try to find where he's at and, uh, and they're dysfunctional concerning the things of the Lord. And the fact is, what Jesus told the Sadducees in Matthew 22 is true of believers today, and that is that ye do err in not knowing the Scriptures. I believe that Jesus Christ is the manifestation of the written Word. And if we could turn Jesus into a book, we would have the Bible. And if we could turn the Bible into a person, we would have Jesus. And if we want to know Jesus in intimacy, we would know Him through the ministry of the Word of God in our lives. And so, it is incumbent upon us who name the name of Jesus to have more than a casual or passive understanding of the Word of God. And I submit to you tonight that that version of the Bible that you have is not the biggest stickler. I believe that uh, if folks pick up 
the authorized King James Version and just pray to the Lord to open the eyes of their spiritual understanding that He would delight to do so. And I believe that uh, even yet today in uh, this uh, day of Common Core where kids are uh, reading at a level that is kind of abysmal compared to where many of us did when we were growing up, uh, that kids can still grasp the truth of the Word of God. And so, I'm going to share with you some things, and I'll move rather quickly tonight. And I want to encourage you to take a note or two, and or when this gets posted, go back and consider it again. But I find seven problems that, that may be the reason why we do not understand the Scripture. And number one is the problem of carnality. The problem of carnality. If you have your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. The Bible says there in verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal? and walk as men. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Corinth and indicating to them that they didn't have the capacity to receive the great truths of the Lord because of the carnality in their hearts and minds. Because of the fleshly aspect of their life overtaking the spiritual, it was squelching the still small voice of God and limiting their understanding. Now I would tell you this, that the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 30, And grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. I believe that when we walk as carnally minded people, we are grieving the heart of God. In fact, grieving the Holy Spirit, which is the person of the Godhead that ministers the truth of the Word of God to us. And so, when we are carnally minded, uh, we're not in a frame of mind to be able to receive divine truth. And our hearts are darkened and clouded uh, with a shroud of uh, sinful thought and things that tend to eclipse the light of truth that, is, that God is trying to shine in our hearts. And so, carnality is a problem. Those that are steeped in sin don't really want to know what God has to say about it because they fear that if they knew, they might be accountable for it. That's one of the reasons why uh, people are in our day and time wanting to take the Ten Commandments off the courthouse wall and out of the public square because they reason that if they don't know it or understand it, they will never be accountable for it. And so, I find that there are a great many people who are carnally minded and as such, they have grieved the Spirit. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, quench not the Spirit. Those that choose to walk after the flesh are quenching the very person of the Godhead who will open the eyes of our spiritual understanding to help us see that which is clearly 
revealed. God wants us to grow up beyond a baby food diet, stop acting carnally as babes in the Lord, and begin to, to grow up. For the Bible tells us in Hebrews 5 that strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so we are called to, to grow up in the Lord and in our understanding. Paul said to these believers in Corinth, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. There comes a point in time where we've got to lay aside self-centeredness and carnality and begin to function as full adult members of the body of Christ that have the capacity to speak and understand and think upon spiritual thoughts and the high things of God. But the trouble is, there are so many people that are bogged down in the quagmire of worldliness and carnality that their minds can't focus on spiritual thought and consequently they do not understand the Bible and it's not God's fault. I often say this, that there are no gray areas in the Bible, just between our ears. You see, this is black and white. This is something that is absolutely true. And it distinguishes truth from error. It gives us the ability to understand and discern the issues of life. And the Lord has made it eminently clear and has given us a teacher to reveal these things to us. And if we do not understand them, it's not because there are gray areas in the Bible. It's because there are gray areas between our ears. And the first problem that we face may be the problem of carnality. Secondly, I want you to turn in your Bible to Second Peter chapter 1. How are we doing? We doing okay? Are you nervous yet? Uh, and maybe you are. But you know what? Uh, you can just maybe hit the pause button. Run out, get a cup of coffee, and come on back. I don't know how you're doing it at home, but uh, I did have somebody tell me recently, Pastor, um, I miss seeing all the people at church, but it's going to be hard for me to come back to church because I've been sitting with my coffee in the recliner and watching the services, and man, that's a great way to see church. you know. So uh, I, I hope that you're somewhere comfortable where you can get this. I want you to notice Second Peter chapter number 1. The Bible says this, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in our hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The second problem is the problem of conceptions. The problem of conceptions. For here the Bible reveals to us that, that we have a more sure word of prophecy. The world has theirs, religion has theirs. But Christ has delivered a more sure word. It is one that we can stand upon and that we can trust. And the Bible reveals to us plainly in verse 20 that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. And what this reveals to us is that 
truth is not relative to you. I'm saying that it's not up to you to say, well, I know what that says, but what it means to me is this. No, listen, I'm, I'm glad that, that God is speaking to your heart, but the, the child of God needs to come to not how do I feel about this, but what is God saying to me? What is it that God is communicating? And the problem today, I find, is that there are too many people that bring their preconceived ideas, their conceptions, to the Bible to try to prove what they think and feel and what they have come to understand based upon their exposure to philosophy and all the world's religions and and, uh, whatever they think is going on in the inside of them. And it's not really a sincere search for truth, but rather them seeking to try to validate what they have held to and believed in their own heart irrespective of what the Bible might say. They're just looking for something to try to prove out what they think. And I'm going to tell you something, that's, that's a dishonest and intellectually dishonest thing to do. We've got to come with open hearts and minds and say, God, would you reveal your truth to me? Not, God, would you validate my truth so that I can feel better about myself? I think about what Paul wrote uh, to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, number 4 because it speaks to this very thing. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter number 4, we read these words, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully. Handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What are we saying? That we're not going to handle the Word of God deceitfully by bringing our preconceived or our a priori assumptions to the table to try to prove what we think should be the truth. No, we're coming in search of what God has said so that we can appropriate His truth in our lives. And if we do not, we are handling the Word of God deceitfully, trying to prove our own ideas rather than trying to discover the great truth of thus saith the Lord. So there's one of the things that hinders people's understanding because they're not trying to know what did God say. I have often said that I have a problem with uh, folks that want to have a Bible study where they put everybody in a circle and everybody, they read one verse and then they go around the circle and ask everybody, what, what, how do you feel about this verse? And uh, what does this verse mean to you? Well, my friends, truth is not relative. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter what she thinks about it or what it means to her. But what really matters is what did God say? There needs to be someone who will stand up and boldly and faithfully declare, thus saith the Lord. And folks, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot about what God says that doesn't make me feel happy and glad. 
because it's convicting to my spirit. And sometimes we only want to handle those things that make me want to look at pictures of kittens on the internet and put them up there as my screensavers and put them on social media. The reality is, my friends, that much of what's contained in the Word of God will comfort your hearts and give you the warm fuzzies, but there's some of it that will convict your heart and give you a sense of woefulness because of your undoneness. And so, the problem of conceptions. Thirdly, I see the problem of conversion. Go in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is perhaps the most powerful reason and one that we must all grapple with and come to terms with. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Bible says this in verse 9, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. So these are are divine truths, unimaginable and wonderful truths that mankind cannot receive. But, the Bible says, God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God no man, but knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The problem of conversion. I'm just going to tell you candidly that one of the great reasons why many people do not understand what the Bible says is because they are not saved. The truth is, until the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you at the very moment of conversion to illumine your minds to the truth and to teach you the deep things of God, we are spiritually dead We are in spiritual darkness and we cannot comprehend the wonderful truths that God has prepared not for the natural man, but for the spiritual man. The one that has been quickened by the Spirit of Christ. And when God gives us of His Spirit, that Spirit will teach us all things. And even as we said there in verse 13, the Holy Ghost will be our teacher then. And if we do not have Him, then my friends, we will never understand the Bible. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, that if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of His. And if we don't have the Spirit of God in us, we're not saved. And if we're not saved, we will never comprehend the Word of God because it is spiritually discerned. It'll just be like Greek to the casual observer. 
you'll never get a hold of it. And that's a problem. And when people that come to me uh, that say, I've studied books and I've taken time and I try to read it and I still can't get it, I don't understand any of it, it makes me take a step back and with an objective biblical view, wonder, are they truly saved? And share with them what the Bible says so that if they are not indeed in the faith, that they can come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, having their hearts and minds quickened and illumined by the ministry of the Holy Ghost, which will then begin to teach them the things of God and open the eyes of their spiritual understanding. I want you to notice the fourth problem we find that hinders people from understanding the Word of God, and that is this, the problem of context. If you have your Bible handy, turn to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter number 28. And uh, we're cooking on a hot flame now. We're, we're moving at, at light speed. And in Isaiah 28, the Bible says in verse number 9, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little and there a little. You say, what is that telling us? It's telling us that if we would understand the Word of God, we must come to it and we must read it within the context of the text. We take it precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. What does that mean? That when we read the, God, uh, the Word of God, we don't just take a random verse and try to make some application without understanding its context. And people often will read one verse and they say, that doesn't make any sense to me. But if they read the entire passage, it would make great sense to them. It kind of reminds me uh, about the guy who was trying to understand the Bible and he didn't get it and, and he thought, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to just kind of leave it up to, uh, to fade. And so uh, he set his Bible down on, on a picnic table out in, in a park and the wind kicked up and the pages began to blow and he put his finger down there and it says, and Judas went out and hanged himself. And he thought, well... I don't know why I landed on that one, and uh, that's probably not the one I need right now. And so he thought, I'm going to try it again. And, and the wind blew, and the pages turned, and he put his finger down, and it said, Go and do thou likewise. And you know, there's one time where that guy probably wished that he read the Word of God in its context, rather than trying to take an isolated verse here and there to try to make something out of that. And the problem is that people don't often take the time to read the Word of God in its context and understand the passage and therefore then the, the, uh, the truths contained in the verses within that particular passage. You know, uh, the Bible says, and we read it in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 13, that we're to compare Scripture with Scripture. Line upon line. Here a little... There a little. You know, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And what God wants us to do is compare scriptural things with scriptural things. Spiritual things with spiritual things. 
line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, to ask the Lord within the context to open the eyes of our spiritual understanding that we may know what it is that God is communicating to us. And so today, don't just take a devotional guide and read one verse and expect that you understand everything there is to know about that. You may draw one truth and make an application. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing that, but what I'm saying is that very few people really have an understanding of the truth of the body of Scripture that just topically and occasionally draw a Scripture out of its context and try to make an application. So there's the problem of context. Now, we have turned the corner. We are way past the halfway mark. And some of you are happy and others of you are sad. We won't, we won't uh, ask you to email us and tell us who you are. But I want to I just identify the fifth problem. And that is the problem of chronology. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter number 1. Folks, if you don't know where that's at, um, we, we probably need to have a different lesson. All right? That's the first verse in the book. All right, some of you are looking in the index right now. I can see it. And uh, uh, but uh, Genesis one one, the Bible says, "In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth." Here, I find the problem of chronology. There are people that don't understand certain of the things that were written in bygone times. They, they read things and they think, why did that happen? Why did God say that? Why did He do that? Why did He ask that? That sounds weird. That's strange to me. I don't get it. The other day I was driving down the road and I heard uh, a radio host in a call-in show talking to someone that was trying to rationalize uh, accepting radical Islam and trying to justify their Quran by saying, well, the Bible is a violent book. If you read through the Old Testament, you're going to find commands to wipe out every man, woman, and child. And, and, uh, and, and if you think that, that Islam is somehow uh, radical and wanting to kill the infidels, just read the Bible. Christianity is just the same. And you know, I, I started calling that radio host. I wanted to, I wanted to say a thing or two, you know, and I couldn't get through for the life of me. I, I wanted to just say, listen, uh, that person is intellectually dishonest by trying to wrest portions of the scripture out of their historic context and their biblical context to try to compare it to something that is not even worthy of comparison. It's not a divinely inspired truth. And the reality is this, there's a problem of chronology, and most people don't get what I'm talking about. Well, I want you to look at Genesis 3.7. Just turn over a couple of pages. And the Bible tells us this, after the fall of man, the eyes of them were both open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. You say, why is that so consequential. Well, up until Genesis 3-7, mankind was in a state of innocency. And not so much in a perfect state, but a state of innocency. And so, there, there was no sin present in the world. Then, when they sinned against God, it ushered in a new dispensation of God's dealing with man. Because the Bible declares that they partook of the fruit of the knowledge of good and of evil. And so now they had to be responsible 
stewards of that which was good and that which was evil. And so, so ushered in a new dispensation or t- period of time in God's dealing with man. First was the, was the dispensation of innocency. And in chapter 3 and verse 7 came the dispensation of conscience. And then uh, we can read on and discover in Genesis 6-7 uh, that there was a flood which brought in the dispensation of human government and then the call of Abraham, the dispensation of promise and the law of Moses that, that brought in the, the dispensation of the law and Calvary that brought in the dispensation of grace or this church age. And then there'll be the dispensation of the rapture. And then finally, the dispensation of the millennium or the kingdom, that thousand year period. And when we read, we need to understand the chronology of that dispensational truth because God dealt with different peoples in different ways and at different times during different periods of time throughout the ages of human history. And when we understand that, it enlightens and educates our understanding. And so there's a problem of chronology that we do not understand that there are dispensations of biblical time. Also, we we fail to comprehend the reality of this, that the Bible was not necessarily written in chronological order. It wasn't just, you know, here's 66 books. One was written right after the other. Some of them were written... uh, simultaneous or concurrent to others. Others were written way early, uh, such as the book of Job and the Pentateuch, and there are others that were that were written later on in the early church period and then eventually canonized into Scripture. But sometimes what people do is they'll take a book, for example, like the book of Revelation, and they'll try to read it from beginning to end and think, well, this has to be in chronological order. And I'm going to tell you, if you take it in that sense, you're going to be tied up in knots and be so discouraged from seeking the truth that you'll put the Bible on the shelf and say, I can never understand it. And hence, you'll not know ever the power of God in your life. Because you do err in not knowing the Scriptures or the power of God. There's the problem of chronology. Understanding that God dealt in different seasons of time and in different ways with different men and we understand this, that the Bible is not necessarily written in chronological order. So many of the Old Testament books are prophetic books, and they're speaking to things which are to come. And so when we understand that, it helps us be able to discern the truth that's being communicated and why that prophecy is being given and to whom it's being prophesied. And so there's that problem. Only two more points left. Are you excited? Let me say this. Number six. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 in your Bible. And, uh, and I think that uh, this is many people's problem right here. It's many people's problem right here. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse number 15. Study. Starts out by saying that. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Number six, we see the problem of comprehension. The problem of comprehension. We, we don't get it. And the problem is, 
those that never study the Word of God will never be able to grasp its truth. They're just going to be on a baby food diet, whatever someone spoon feeds them, they can get. Okay, when, when someone breaks it all down and feeds it to them, well, that's when they get it. But they'll never have the ability to pick up the Word of God, they think. And I want to give you some thoughts to consider, if, if I may. I want you to write down four words with regard to comprehension. Number one, study. The word is study. What this may mean for some is that you need to do a U-turn. In other words, you need to go back and do some remedial work at basic language skill. What I mean is, what maybe you need to do is just go back and learn to brush up on your reading skills and comprehension skills. That means that you may need to have a dictionary with you when you read the Bible. I do. I have a Webster's 1828 dictionary that I keep, which, which is one of the greatest tools of biblical interpretation that there is. A Webster's 1828 dictionary. And I think maybe you have one, Brother Lyle. Probably came from, from Brother Hilmer. He and I both had one. The usage sentences in the Webster's 28 dictionary are often right out of the Word of God. And it gives you... The, the etymology of those words, it breaks them down just like a concordance might do. And so it may be that we just need to go back and brush up on some basic language skills where we, we work a little bit on our reading and comprehension. And we, we keep a dictionary there with us that will help us with our comprehension. There are some people that have Bible programs that they can click on a word and it immediately helps them to understand what that word means. Listen, that's a great idea if that's what you need. Do a U-turn and go back and learn some of the stuff that you should have nailed down back when you were in school. You know, I'm going to tell you something. We're living in a day where people want something for nothing. There are people that weren't working, that were drawing a check from the government, who through the coronavirus have not had their standard of living or their income impacted, not one iota. And you know what? They're griping because they didn't get their stimulus check. What? You see, people want something for nothing. And you know, isn't that the way it is? Uh, people want, uh, want to draw a paycheck because of what they know, not because of what they do. They think, well, I got a degree. You know, folks, I got to tell you something. I know people that have alphabet soup after their name, but they don't have enough sense to come in out of the rain. The reality is you might have a degree, but what, how does that translate into something productive for you? The truth today is that we're living in a time where people want to receive the great things of God and have all the power of God at their disposal, but they don't want to have to dig into the truth of the Word of God to ferret out its power for them and the application of its truth for them. And the reality begins with us sometimes going back. And number one, we decide, I'm going to study so I can just simply read it and comprehend it. Secondly, slow down. Number one, study. Number two, slow down. Do you know one of the problems that we have? It's like, oh, I'm on the Bible reading schedule. I'm reading the Bible through in a year, and, and I've got to read you know, five chapters today, and, uh, and I've got 20 minutes to, till you know, someone's coming over. I better try to get them in and, in that 20 minutes. And man, we, we race right through it, and you know what? We slam it shut after the fifth chapter is done, and you know, five minutes later, we could not for the life of us tell anybody what it was that we just read. 
You know, I'm going to tell you something. If you read through Romans chapter 7 really fast, you're going to say, what? Uh, what? Say that again. You know, let, 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 me just, let me just say to you, alright? Here's Paul writing in, in, in Romans chapter 7. And uh, what did he say there? He said, For that which I do I allow not, for what I would that do I not, but what I hate that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. You got that? You say, well, uh, uh, you know, you see the thing is, I didn't quite catch it. Can you slow down just a little bit? This is my point. But if I read it like this, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Does that change your comprehension just a little bit? I think that it does. And I think sometimes what we do is we too often move carelessly and recklessly and speedily through the Word of God, expecting that somehow we're going to get something from it, and we don't. Oh, we're going to finish the Bible in a year and we've read our chapters for that day, but the truth is we didn't get anything out of it. We don't understand anything of it. The truth is we need to slow down. And sometimes what you should do while you're reading it is just read it slowly out loud. It'll help to inform your understanding. Alright, my fourth word is stop. Stop. Alright, you read something, stop. Years ago I was preaching in a comp- pastor's conference in the Philippines and I was in a packed auditorium and, and uh, we uh, had four preachers in the morning and I think I was the third preacher and, and the guys were tired. The pastors had been up fellowshipping the night through and they were sleeping in, in open air on, on just blankets laid on a concrete floor and, and they were getting eaten alive by mosquitoes and they were staying up and, and drinking cocoa and reconnecting with their friends that they never saw. They'd come down out of the mountains and villages. And and uh, uh, this preacher uh, was preaching ahead of me. He was a preacher from Ohio. And, and he got up and man, he started railing on these preachers and he said, Who here read ten chapters of the Bible today? And I mean, he was just thundering at these preachers. And they are kind of looking at him like, well, you know, I just woke up about an hour before the service started and it was all I could do to, to find some clean water to wash up with. And uh, I was up all night discussing the things of the Lord. I haven't gotten the ten chapters in. And, and he's like, you call yourself a man of God and you didn't read ten chapters of the Bible? And, and uh, then he said, who read seven chapters? And then who read five chapters? And I mean, he was letting them have it, you know. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I read my, I read more than ten chapters this morning, but you know, <laughs> I don't like the way he's berating these guys. And I'm not going to stand up. I was being a little rebellious and cantankerous, no doubt. you know. And, and I'm going to tell you something. I, I thought, man, you know, the volume of Scripture that you read, uh, it's a wonderful thing to read volumes of the Bible, but do you retain the volumes that you read? And the fact of the matter is, they could have read ten chapters just to say they're a man of God, and they wouldn't have been. And I sat there praying, God, would you please help this man who's beating these wonderful sacrificial servants of the Lord over the head with a thought? And uh, 
You know, the, the guy preached himself hoarse, and he wasn't able to preach again the rest of the meeting. And I got up after the break, and it was my turn to preach. And I said, fellas, you know, there are many mornings where I got up intent on reading many chapters of the Bible. Only after having read one verse, I'm under such conviction of the Holy Spirit that I can't move on. And I have to stop and I need to think about what God is telling me. And I need to evaluate and meditate upon its truth so that it becomes a part of my life. And on those days, maybe I didn't read ten chapters. But God preached ten sermons to me by His Spirit out of a single verse. And it was more dynamic in my life than if I had read ten books of the Bible. You know, as I looked out, I saw tears streaming down the cheeks of those guys. And I realized that they had been right there where they just had to stop for a minute and let the truth of what they've read settle in, to meditate upon it, ruminate on it, and let it become a part of who they are. So study, number one. Number two, slow down. Number three, stop and think about what you're reading. And then lastly, systematize. Say, what do you mean? I mean this. If you just say, okay, I read the Bible, I don't get it. Well, I want to ask you a few questions. Okay, who wrote the book? You say, God did. Well, who did God use to author this, to pen it? Well, it was the Apostle Paul. All right, who was he the Apostle to? Well, he was the Apostle to the Gentiles. Okay, so listen, that, that probably applies to you then, doesn't it? Now, who was he writing it to? Well, he was writing it to a, to a church and... Where was that church always? It was Corinth. And what was one of the problems in Corinth? Well, you know, there was a lot of carnality there and a lot of sin in that church and he was rebuking them for things that, that need to be squared away. So does that set things in context for you a little bit? He was writing to a church in a period in history that was very pagan and here was the reason for the writing. You see, if you begin to systematically study the Word of God. And try to understand who wrote it. Who was it written to? Why was it written? What was He saying? What were the problems being dealt with? Who were the key players that were being spoken to? You're going to find that everything's going to kind of begin to fall in line in your understanding. See, there's no gray areas in the Bible only between our ears. The problem of our comprehension. And it starts with this verse, 2 Timothy 2.15, Word 1, study. Don't just read, study. Now, the last thing that I would say, I bet you thought I'd never get to point number 7. I'm already here. Can you believe it? I'm very proud of myself. I'm sure my wife is happy with me too. I want you to see this. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter number 1. 
Are we there yet? Sounds like my kids on vacation. <laughs> Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe, according to the working of His mighty power. So if I don't know the truth, I'm not going to know about His mighty power. But that's ministered to me by the Holy Spirit of God which quickens me and enlightens my understanding. And so, the, the seventh problem is the problem of communion. Communion with the Holy Spirit of God. You know, the Bible says we're to walk in the Spirit so we do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We're to live life in the Spirit. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible reveals to us in 1 Corinthians 2.13 as we read that, that the Holy Ghost will be our teacher. In this passage we see that the work that the Holy Spirit does is enlighten or illumine, if you would, the eyes of our spiritual understanding. But if we are busy grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit of God, never spending time living life in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, how do we expect to have our understanding enlightened so that we understand the Word of God at all? I'm going to tell you that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. That's revealed for us in no uncertain terms, in John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16, and John chapter 17. Would you like me to read them for you? <laughs> I will at a later time, all right? We'll have a personal private reading somewhere. I'm not a, I'm not a palm reader, I'm a Bible reader, amen? <laughs> and, uh, but let me say this, the Holy Spirit, in John chapter 14, the Bible says, and verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. So, for you to try to understand the truth apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit is futile. Whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Alright, He's called the Comforter in verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in My name, He shall... What? Teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. The Bible says in chapter 15 and verse 26, 
But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even of the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, He shall testify of Me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with Me from the beginning. So what is He going to do? He's going to testify of Christ. And you know what? This is the revelation of Christ. And the Spirit of the living God is the Spirit that illumines our minds and helps us to receive this truth. And if we never commune with God in the Spirit, we'll never understand its truth. I could go on and on. Chapter 16 reveals to us the ministry of the Holy Spirit in salvation as it relates to the truth. It says in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send Him unto you. And when He has come... He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on Me. Of righteousness because I go to My Father and you see Me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Those are the three elements required for salvation. Where the word reprove means to convict. And what He does is based upon the truth of the Gospel, convicts men of, number one, sin. That we're all sinners. Of righteousness. That He alone is righteous and we can never make ourselves that way. And only He can fulfill all righteousness in our behalf. And of judgment. If we reject the righteous offer of salvation through Jesus Christ, there is a judgment that will follow. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit of God in conversion. And that is what He enlightens our minds to behold. The Bible again, in verse number 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. There are many other verses that I could Uh, take time to share with you, but will not as of now. But I simply want to say this. We're called to be filled with the Spirit. And He's the Spirit of truth. And so, what what do you mean, Pastor, when you say the problem of communion? I mean this, that God calls us in Ephesians 6.18 to pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? That I'm praying in another language? No. What it means is the one that helps our infirmities, including our deficit in understanding will minister to us in the Spirit by testifying and teaching and revealing the great truths of God. I'm going to say this before I close. One of my teachers in the Word was Brother Hilmer Holmes. He was a deacon in our church who walked with God for many years. And for 53 years, every day of his life, he studied biblical prophecy. He was... Uh, more devoted to the study of end-time events than perhaps many who have wrote volumes on the subject. And I would tell you that he was a man that I looked up to as a, a diligent student of the Word of God. And I would go to his home and I would just try to learn from him, especially in the latter days of his life. And when he died, his daughter Jody called me and said, a Pastor um, Hilmer wanted you to have his library and uh, uh, would you come and help me clean out uh, his, his study and go through his library and uh, all his things are there, you'll be able to make better sense of it than I would. I said, I'd, I'd be happy to do it whenever you want me to come. And so I took a gentleman from our church and we got a pickup truck and we went over there. 
There in his office was an old computer. I think it was one that was on the ark. It, it, it was an oldie moldy. Um, his printer, it wasn't a laser printer. It wasn't a super galactic. It was a daisy wheel printer. In fact, he had the special or I think Brother Dustin special ordered some some cartridges for that daisy wheel printer. You couldn't go to the store and just buy them off the shelf anymore. But but he was old school. They had floppy disks. Who uses floppy disks anymore? But let me tell you, I looked around and I saw on three walls of that office books from floor to ceiling. I saw four four drawer filing cabinets filled with his notes that he had taken as he studied for 53 years. And there was a post-it pad taped to the screen of his computer. And it just said this in big, bold letters. Pray for understanding. Pray for understanding. Here's a guy that studied the Bible more than most preachers do. He had the time to do it. He was retired a long time. Let me say this to you. He realized he would never understand the deep things of God unless he got in that study and communed with God the Spirit so that he would open the eyes of his spiritual understanding. The Bible says in James 1.5, if any man among you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. You know one of the reasons why we don't understand the Bible? We don't take the time to pray in the Spirit for God to open the eyes of our understanding, to enlighten our understanding. See, I just don't understand the Bible, Pastor. I can't understand it. I read it. I don't get it. Maybe the problem is, number three, that you're not even really saved. You have no confidence in your heart that you're really a believer. You see, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I don't know why tonight you're struggling to understand the Bible if you are. Perhaps one of these things has spoken to you, and God will use one of these truths to help you become like Apollos of old, mighty in the Scriptures. We become like Aquila and Priscilla who expounded more completely the way of God's grace unto a man that many thought was mighty in the Scripture. You know, we'll never be able to even expound the truth to our kids if we don't take the time to know. So my friend, if your problem today is that you're not even really sure that you're saved, I want you to understand this. The Gospel is good news. But it begins with some bad news. And the bad news is that we're sinners. And the Bible tells us that we're sinners by birth and by choice. We can't change that. I'm not a sinner because I commit sin. I commit sin because I'm a sinner. I've inherited that condition from Adam. The Bible says that there's a penalty for sin, that the wages of sin is death. And death is separation. The Bible says that the body without the spirit is dead. That separation of the body and the spirit... And so, 
we recognize that there's a second death spoken of in Revelation 20.14, and that's death in hell. And that occurs after the physical death. That's separation from God in a place of punishment called hell. But the reality is this, that God loves you so much that He sent His Son Jesus who came willingly in love to pay the penalty for your sin and to take the punishment in your place on the cross of Calvary. And He died for you because He loves you and He was buried. And after three days, He rose up from the grave so that He could offer you forgiveness of sin because of His shed blood and eternal life in heaven because of the empty tomb. And if you have never received that as a gift, knowing that you can never merit it, you could never earn it by any standard, it has to come freely from the hand of God or we would never have it. If you've never yet received that, you can have that gift tonight by simply asking the Lord for it. And He has promised that He would give it to you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So tonight, if you know you're a sinner and you can't save yourself, you know that you deserve to die and go to a devil's hell to pay for your sin, you understand that Jesus paid the price for you. And He now offers heaven through the forgiveness of sin to all that would believe Him and receive it. I want to invite you to pray a prayer together with me. Now, my prayer will not save you. But if the words of this prayer reflect what is in your heart and you believe it, then God has declared you may be saved. And so, if you believe what I have just simply told you, would you pray a prayer like this? Dear Lord, I come to You confessing that I am a sinner and that I cannot save myself. I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sins so that I may spend forever in heaven with God. I'm now trusting in Jesus and Jesus only to save me and take me to heaven. Thank You for dying on the cross for me. Enable me to live for Thee. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you received the gift of eternal life purchased with blood, I want to invite you to contact us. Our contact information is on our website at freewaybaptist.org. Or if you're on Sermon Audio, email us through Sermon Audio. Tell us about your decision. We want to send you a Bible. We want to give you some information to help you understand what God has done for you and how that you can grow in this newfound life that you have in Jesus Christ. And understand this, when Jesus died, He died for all of your sins, past, present, and future. And should you sin tomorrow, the blood of Jesus Christ was sufficient to wash that one away as well. You see, when we're saved, we're saved forever. And He gives us everlasting life. It never ends. And so, thank you for listening tonight. And thank you for those that perhaps made this decision. We would dearly love to hear from you tonight.